0: Hey everybody, St. Paul Peterson here and welcome to episode five of Music on the Run. This week's guests, Michael and Kevin Bacon, the Bacon Brothers. I'm actually doing this intro from my hotel room in Anaheim, California. I've been here for the last four or five days doing all sorts of interviews at something called the NAM show, the National Academy of Music Merchants. It's a convention for musicians and vendors and you wouldn't believe the sea of humanity and insanity here at the Anaheim Convention Center. We had a great time and uh, I can't wait for you to hear the interviews that will be coming your way in the spring. But first let's talk a little bit about the interview with the Bacon Brothers. I did not really know Kevin and Michael, except for one time I was in New York city when I was on the road with Donnie Osman. our mutual friend, Frank Villardi, who was the drummer in both the Bacon Brothers and with Donny Osmond, invited us over to Kevin's house during football season. And we watched uh, the Vikings game there. They were having a party at Kevin's place. And I was sitting there with Bruce Springsteen, his wife, Howard Stern, it Meryl Streep. And what did I do? I asked Kevin first thing. I went, hey, the Vikings are playing in the playoffs. Do you mind turning on the TV? So half the time I was in Kevin's A bedroom watching the Minnesota Vikings, unfortunately, lose that game. So that is the last time I saw Kevin. Fast forward about 10 to 15 years and the Bacon Brothers came to Minneapolis about four months ago to play the Dakota. I called my old buddy Frank Velarde on the phone and I said, Frank, will you ask the brothers if they'd be interested in doing my brand new podcast? I had no idea whether they were going to say yes, but they did. They came over to Creation Studios in uh, something we called Eat Street in Minneapolis. They came back into the studio, and we talked about so many different things. The dynamic of being the youngest brother, which I can relate to. We talked about the dynamics of family being on the road together and creating music. And it was absolutely fascinating. What a great conversation I had with Kevin and Michael Bacon. And that is next on Music on the Run. Before we get started here... Do me a favor, wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, St. Paul Peterson here and welcome to another episode of Music on the Run. And let's get right to it. My guests today are brothers, and they've been making music together their entire lives. And together they share a singular body of work that's found them spending more than 20 years of working the road and paying their dues, resulting in eight records. When they're not making music together, they have ridiculously successful careers on their own. And please, without further ado, welcome Michael and Kevin Bacon. Fellas. Hey, Paul. I- Hey Paul, <laughs> <laughs> how are you? Good. We are Thanks good. for good. coming, man. Nice um, I was at your concert last night. It was great. Man. Thank you, thank you. Not thank that you. I should be surprised or yeah. anything like that, but you guys are great musicians. Thank you. Unbelievable. So musical brothers. I know a little bit about that. Uh-huh. My my family is all musical. How does that work out with you guys? Is that uh, that's got to be interesting, trying, and beautiful all at the same time? It, yeah.
1: I think that's a pretty good description. I mean, you know, I, I, Michael's, um, nine years older than me. Uh, we grew up in Philadelphia. Right. Um, uh, the six, six kids in a, um, little house in, in row house in Philly. And, um, well, it wasn't all that little, but when you put six of us in it, it was pretty. Nice. It was five stories, but I think it was
2: only 15 feet <laughs> yeah, wide. Yeah, so 15 was, feet.
1: Yeah, it was really, really it was narrow. Kind of the old lady in the shoe, kind of. Thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 That's a good way to describe it. Um, it. Right, and 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 in my case, my mother was kind of an old lady by the time I was born. Um, Mine too. Actually. You're really, the youngest. I'm the youngest. I'm the yeah. youngest. You're the youngest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know a little bit about it. being a little it. brother. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. <laughs> And um you know, Michael uh, was a uh, was kind of always a musician um, and um, so I grew up uh, listening to him, writing songs, playing in bands, ah. practicing um, I I think our mother, although I've never really had this confirmed, I think our mother was very, very um, adamant that you become a musician, right. Do you think she was really instrumental in that or not so much? Oh,
2: definitely instrumental just because um, she got me a cello and a teacher when I was, I think, about five. Right. And that was a formative experience because I can remember when the cello came into our house, what room it was, what the lacquer smelled like. All right. And since that time, musical instruments have always been completely magical. So to be here today, I'm just like a kid. I want to touch them all. Right, exactly. Yeah, but um, I, I don't think our parents... Ever really wanted to point us any particular direction? Maybe our dad a little bit. Uh, I know that when I dropped out of college, I was a fraternity guy in Ouija and the Khakis, and then all of a sudden went into a, a hippie band and um, <laughs> <a> total <laughs> life change. And I, my father was really disappointed until the band started to become successful. I think uh, that they both wanted success for us. Of
0: course, don't all parents? Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say that they would bring a cello into the house. Was that more of a since they weren't musicians proper, correct?
1: No. Not even un- improper. Okay, so <laughs> They definitely they, weren't musicians.
0: So they bring the cello into the house just for, for exploration, for a cultural reason? Why the cello?
2: I think because they love music. And um, they saw that I maybe had an aptitude for it and an interest in the instruments. Hmm. Um, I think I actually played a C-sax before that. I had a lesson with this... Beautiful teenage girl, and somehow in my lesson, her thumb got caught in a drawer. (laughs) What? Yes, I got to write another song. And I just—it just was kind of traumatic, and that was the end of the C-Sacks. So then, when the cello came in, it it, was—I had that seed already planted. And the thing that's interesting, especially looking at your place here is our dad was trained as an architect. He, he became a city planner, so our house on Locust Street, the whole downstairs, he took out all the walls, and he built in basically a hi-fi system with an 18-inch Jensen speaker, Altec Lansing horn, so the whole first floor of our house
1: was really a
2: gigantic so speaker. they
0: loved music. They it wasn't they just didn't play no.
3: necessarily.
1: Our mom played a little bit of Mando, but but that's really all I ever really remember her playing. And hmm. our, our father, we often like to say that uh, when he would <laughs> sing us lullabies, we would pretend to be asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd be finished. Thank yeah. you, Dad. Right.
0: Well, bye. See ya. <laughs> what about your brothers and sisters for there? Uh, the rest of them. You, you you're six, is that right? Six, yeah. And four girls, us, four girls, two of us. two oh, of okay. us, Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, they, our older sister Hilda um, was a, a, a singer in the kind of like um, you know Joni Mitchell, Judy Collins vein. Oh, cool. She had long, beautiful you know teenage girl with long blonde hair, and right. sang um, you know what's it called, Raggle Taggle Gypsies or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, folk song. Like kind folk folk songs, songs, yeah. of okay. Peter Paul and Mary. Uh, yeah. Brothers Four, or
2: Kingston Trio, that kind of thing. And okay. Mike,
1: Michael had a band with her that I remember them practicing in our, our basement. And I must have been—I don't know how old were you when you had a band? I was probably 15, band? so I'll do the math. Yeah, they so 15, so I was I was six, and 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 they were a jug band. Um,
2: no with kidding. A, you you know, weren't a, playing uh, rock
0: and roll or any hippie music or anything like that. Yeah, you. So no, I was
2: into folk music mostly. Okay, and it was really strange because our sister Hilda, that Kevin just described. Um, what we would do is we'd get these old Folkways records of these um, Southern African-American jug bands. And they were jug bands because they, they, they couldn't afford, afford a saxophone. They had sure. a comb you know, and the Jim Queskin jug band, which really was, I was just idolized those guys was big. And so we'd find these old Folkways records and we'd find songs to do it. And our mother would hear the songs coming out from the basement. And if they were too suggestive, <laughs> she would not let my sister, like, um, we had this one song it's great, I mean, we could have been superstars. <laughs> 38 Slug, it was called. Yeah, and? Mama caught a 38 Slug. And when my, my mother heard that, no, no, no. no <laughs> she 38, put the kibosh on that one. That was huh? the end of that one. That was the end of our career.
0: <laughs> oh, man. So there was music around the house, your sisters, you were playing... I know it's a little brother that when that's happening, you you idolize, or at least I'm sure you do as well. You idolize your brothers, and you're like, what are they doing? And what are you listening to? And maybe oh, I want a piece of that, and no, I want to be into that. So that trickle down theory from the parents and your brothers and sisters that had to have a profound effect on you, uh, Kevin.
1: Uh, yeah, it did. Um, I I well, you know, I really, really, from a very Young age, um, before I even knew what an actor was, I knew that I wanted to be an actor because I wanted to be the center of attention. Uh-huh. I wanted to enter a room and have people look at me. That's
0: people? our job, though, isn't it? Well, uh, it <laughs> is. As my little God. brothers, oh, it's your job oh, for oh, real is, now.
1: Oh yeah, no, no, no. As a little brother, yeah. I mean, I guess that's part of it. I, I don't know if you know nature nurture. It's hard. It's hard to really put your finger on that. But but, but you
0: knew right away. I knew okay. right. I knew right away that
1: I wanted to be somehow. Rich, famous, get girls. Um, (laughs) In that order. uh, mm, No, not necessarily in that order. I'd say, (laughs) yeah, reverse order. Reverse order. (laughs) Okay. Um, And so, how to how to do that? And you know, for a a short time, I was kind of thinking it could be, you know, rock and roll. You know, because it was back then there was a uh, there was a certain kind of um, pop star, if you look at um, David Cassidy, mm-hmm. The Monkees, Bobby Sherman, yep. Jack Wilde from England, um, these guys were kind of singers and kind of actors. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They yeah. they, they sort of went in the... Right. And, and that was kind of what I was uh, aspiring to at that point. Right. And um, my... And then I realized that um, really becoming a musician was a giant pain in the ass because you really had to practice a lot. <laughs> and my brother was really good at practicing. He would practice all, all the time. And That wasn't for you. It wasn't for me. No, I mean, I got a drum kit and I played it um, a lot in the basement. I, I, I de- never took lessons. I... Uh, Started to play around on a guitar. I was I really liked um, the conga drums, and so mm-hmm. I did a lot of that. Yeah, I was really into like you know Santana kind of stuff. Played in a band, mm-hmm. uh, shockingly called Footloose. Um, before or after the movie? Way before, what, like how ten weird years, is that? ten years of 10, 15 years before. Wow, um, interesting. Yeah, um, but really, Michael was the musician, and uh, I think my mom. I felt sort of didn't want me to encroach on that.
0: Wow. Hmm. Interesting.
3: Family well, dynamics. Well, let's put it this family.
1: way. She encouraged the acting a lot. Okay. You know, she so, was like less encouraging of uh It was a subtle of kind of a... Yeah, uh, I thought so. Okay. I thought so. Interesting. Um, so, you know, I started taking acting classes. And... uh And apprenticing in, in, um, you know, small theaters in Philly. And, um, you know, I went, that was my path. Um, Got it. But I was also, simultaneously, I really liked writing songs. So I would sing them to him. Okay. So you're
0: doing this for fun at this point.
1: Yeah, but without the instrument. Like, I'd have the melody and the lyrics in my head, and then I would sing them to him, and then he would figure out the changes. No way. So that
0: was the early writing stage of the Bacon Brothers. Definitely, yeah. Oh, that's very cool.
1: At that point, though, Michael had already probably written 100 songs. I mean, he'd been writing for a long time.
0: So you were, like, encouraging your, your bro to, to do this, or was that just part of the hang? Well,
2: it's just I just never can remember a time that I didn't want to share music with my brother. Just right. was, I guess because of the way our family was set up, that was just a very natural thing. Right. And we went for years um, kind of writing songs, which I don't want to say for the wrong reason, but were not our best work. We were writing songs for fads, we wrote a song called Preppy Rock, we wrote a song called Eight Wheel Boogie. And later on when Kevin was starting to do movies, we would try to write songs for his movies that yeah. and which never were accepted. And try to write country songs to, and pitching, pitching it was like Get Rich Quick with Music. Mm-hmm. But I knew that what I did best was not the Tin Pan alley style, you know, I'm gonna eat at ten and here's the title of the song we're gonna write. Right. It was more what is my life? What what do I have to communicate to people that I can put into a song. Organic kind of real yeah. stuff that's coming out. So when we put the band together, um we had a pretty big backlog of stuff we'd written and we really went towards the stuff that was more meaningful to our own lives.
0: Huh that's interesting. Well let's fast forward for a second and let's talk about so like I said, I was at the show last night. Freaking awesome man. I had great seats. Good. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean in the and your front of house guy is great, man. It's the Thanks. blend was beautiful and you guys your pitch and stuff, you must have been able to hear perfectly because your, your pitch was super on the money all night long. Oh, That's great. That's great. That's Glad to, great to hear that. that. To hear. <laughs> it makes us feel very happy. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm serious, <laughs> though. But I mean, that that's the kind of stuff where you, uh, if it's not, it's like, uh, ah, yeah. that hurts a little bit. But OK, so I, the reason why I, why I bring that up is this podcast is not only about music. It's about how we stay in shape on the road, how we keep our chops in shape. How we keep our family relationships in shape. So you're traveling by, by bus, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So for our people who are coming from the athletic or running or whatever world, give me a short explanation of what that's like at the age we're at. I mean, how does that impact you physically and as as far as uh, uh, you know your energy level and, and as it goes on, you know when you get into the third week of the tour, is it does it really drain on your performance? I'm just curious about that. Well, I don't. I, I think it take for me. It's
1: it's a it's it's challenging, but but not so much on the performance. I i i think I've kind of learned how to stay in shape, and I've, I've um, for one thing, what what you really are looking for, you know, is is is, is vocal shape, right? Because True. because that's that's the thing that you you know you can you can um, you know hit a couple of clams a night, which I do uh, more than a couple. Um, but to uh, to lose your voice, oh. you, you you don't really have a show, you know. I mean, and 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 so I think that holding on to that is, seems to be the thing. And and I feel we have a great singing teacher now, a guy in in New York named Justin Stoney. And um, one thing that I've kind of learned is that. You, if you're using your voice right, uh, and trying your best not to push too much, you mm. actually get stronger as the yeah. as the tour continues, mm. um, which which is kind of counterintuitive. It sure but is. But I, I think I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I, I I find if we're if we're in a situation where we sing, like we did a um, a, a couple of uh, uh, two show days in in uh, what was that Napa. Someplace anyway, we were someplace where Can't we remember. did two two shows. Blue Note, Napa. Blue Note, Blue Note, yep. Napa, yeah, two shows, two nights. Ouch! And then right away another show. That's a lot of mm-hmm. of 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 singing. Um, and uh, walked away from that and felt actually better. You no know, s- stronger than than before. So I, I I think that um, you know, you it, it it's it's challenging. I don't sleep very well on a bus. Uh-huh. Um, we get um day rooms, uh so that I, I nap every single day. Um even if it's just for um ten minutes I'm able to like yeah, you do can certain. shut down. I can shut down Oof. for and I can be a hundred percent revived. Wow. And but I ha but I get really cranky about not getting it. <laughs> if I don't get the nap <laughs> Oh that must be I, fun. Yeah, then I, I'm really I I I feel like I I'm missing something. But if I get the nap, I'm I'm am i I'm good.
0: That's survival man is what that is yeah that's a road dog survival technique what What about you Michael? well,
2: I uh, just amplifying a little bit what Kevin said about the singing is i've had singing teachers pretty much my whole career, and until we met justin i they did nothing for me, not one thing. We'd go on the road and i'd sk- Scream it out, and the mm. next morning I uh, and it was very, very stressful. And I think that the singing pedagogy is really not very well formed. Mm. There should be the things that I learned really in the last six months. Even I should have learned when I was 19 years old when I started in the music business. And I don't know why nobody could teach me that. But luckily, you know, I'm 70, and you know, I guess it's never too late to learn. But I agree with Kevin. When you're singing properly and you're understanding how to, not to push and that you just because you go high, you don't go loud, Got then it. your right, voice right. gets stronger every day. And it's, I mean, it's a little bit short of a miracle for me from what I went through all the years, 50 years in the music business. And no now singing is such a pleasure. It's just, you know, it's, I'm a very different person than my brother. I don't want people to look at me. I don't want I, if I walk into a room I start to get nervous. <laughs> and everything about my performing is, is muscle memory. Okay. I had to overcome all the nervousness and become no I sort kidding, of almost have really? this alternate personality that when I get on stage I am so completely relaxed.
0: Well, I but, noticed that too last night. I'll t- I'll talk about that later, but man, you guys just own that shit. I mean, it's Well,
2: we feel very very confident about the well, band. Well, that's evident. That's for sure. We we're also able to play like, for instance, we do... Do you ever play Green Hall in, in, in New Braunfels, Texas? It's a, um, it's a Texas roadhouse historical building that um, has no air conditioning, and it's made of no, tin, basically, and it's a, it's a madhouse. And we can do that. We can do elegant concert halls. We can do a place like the Dakota, right. which is kind of somewhere in between. So I think that there's, we feel really confident about the show, and it makes me feel very relaxed.
0: Yeah. Well... Being in our sixties and seventies, our voices are not supposed to get stronger. And you're saying that
1: absolutely they are. They are. Yeah, both they, of our voices definitely, I mean, definitely stronger and more in tune. Definitely more in tune. Man, uh, you I, know, we. I mean, not to get too technical, but no, I, please I, do. We well, might as well. Is, is that okay? I yeah, mean, we're uh, hanging. Do you use in ears? I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that was a really big change um, because when I first put them in we were playing for a
0: long time and you know had a regular stage monitors and and let me interrupt you inner monitors you guys are, are instead of having the big speakers in front of you we actually are using headphones that are molded to our ears and that's how we hear ourselves sorry
1: no uh, no no I, I i yeah i mean that's it's a that's a good explanation obviously that needs to be clarified um you I'd come off stage I get all the energy you know and feel the the crowd and stuff and come off stage my ears would just be bleeding <laughs> and my throat was like sore Really? And and I you know it's like I when when we were using monitors Oh
0: when you were using Okay yeah when all we were right. using
1: when we were using floor monitors um but that was like the thing you know you mm-hmm. wanted to have that sort of like you know that kind of you know elect So when we first put the Put the in ears in in order to, you know, I had my hearing tested and you know it was. How's that, by the way? It's pretty good. It's pretty good, but but it was starting to go south a little bit, Mm -hmm. and so went to the in ears. Maybe we used them for, I don't know, ten shows. I was like, I can't do it anymore. I don't, I don't have a connection to the audience. I, I feel like it's too dry. Wow. Uh, You know, it, it's we, uh, we were, we weren't carrying (laughs) our own monitor mixer, so that. You know, we couldn't really get a... It was a nightmare to get a blend every night. And then went back to the, you know, the wedges. And again, like sore throat, bleeding uh. ears, you know. And then went back to the in-ear monitors. And it was a psychological um, test to be able to live with really, really hearing your own voice mm. and being okay with that. And, and also not... Hearing every detail of what was coming out of the audience, but trusting that they were they were there with you anyway. Do you right. know what I mean? Um, some you people, feel like
0: you're all alone yeah, up there if, you, sometimes with the in- ears, right? Exactly,
1: you're all alone, and and so, you know some people I think are able to you know put in. We don't have that, but you know they put in mics
0: in the audience, mics in the yeah, audience, yeah. And,
1: <laughs> and it's a whole thing. And they put a lot of reverb on it, and they do all this kind of like you know crazy things So they basically feel like you're. But that really saves your voice mm-hmm. because all of a sudden you go, okay, um, I can hear myself and I don't have to push because I don't hear myself, you right. know? Um, and uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day with Danny Korchmar, a guitar player who oh, yeah. uh, worked and producer and stuff, worked with James Taylor. And he was talking about how um, when he put the band together, he had a band with, with James Taylor in the in the very beginning. And because he couldn't hear himself... It really like really made James crazy and that's really why he broke up that band and no, I don't just, know if they even had that's kind of the area I started.
2: I don't I don't remember wedges. No in, wedges in the sixty nine. Yeah no, exactly. they didn't that's, come into what, mid seventies? That's exactly right. right. Yeah. Just a no system, yeah. the system. old And the Beatles never had wedges either. And that's one right. of the reasons they didn't tour. They yeah. couldn't stand. They couldn't hear anything. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's Can it's it's imagine? maddening. It's maddening. And you think about somebody who's like 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 James Taylor, I mean, you know, he's playing a very. He has to be able to hear what he's playing and what he's singing. I mean, right. to just put that out there and have no. There's a band playing behind you. Is I mean, I could I I could see quoting too. So anyway, that's a that's kind of a technical answer, but I think no, that the in ear monitors really really have have helped, and now we are. We got almost everybody in the band with, with in Except for our keyboard player. He can't deal with it. Yeah.
2: So. He can't use it. No. Nice. But in well, a way... It,
0: it's a Texas uh, in-ear monitor. I saw it was up high right next to his ear, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the wedge exactly. was blasting exactly. in his, in his yeah. ear. Yeah.
2: But he, in, in a funny way, I mean, one of the other pluses of in-ears is you have a, basically a quiet stage except for the drums and the electric guitars. Hmm. Um so that makes, in terms of getting the sound out to the audience, much more manageable. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I think, Kevin, I think we did both for a while when we were kind of struggling That's right, we did. with it. We had wedges yeah. and We'd yank them
1: out, put them back in, yank them
2: in out, put them back in. I still
0: do that if my monitors aren't great. If I don't have a good monitor, man, I'm like, oh. Mm. Yeah. So do you yank. keep
1: a wedge on the floor and, put, and use the ears. You do, uh-huh. yeah.
2: But yeah. now this is the first time we've gone for the quiet stays, except for Joe, because in a funny way, I was really missing the stage sound of the keyboards. I don't know what it is about keyboards that, I guess, because I mean, you can hear the amps. Obviously, you can hear the drums. You can hear the bass, and mm. if you can't hear the keyboards on the stage. Yeah, it really, I, I really don't blame him for feeling really uncomfortable with it. And if that's the only wedges we have, that's great. That's oh, yeah, you know, it's uh, five out of six.
0: Well, so. yeah. Plus, if you can soar above that, uh, I love playing loud. But when when I do play quietly you really have a different interaction with your band. It's like, I can hear what you're playing. Mm-hmm. I can hear what, ooh, I can hear what you're playing. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you, you can fix things or you can, you can really groove and you get a, uh, instead of just full steam ahead, there, I feel there can be more interaction sometimes with a,
1: I totally a agree. Quiet, quieter stage. I totally agree. It's really nice to hear what they're playing too because all of a sudden you go, oh,
0: wow, that's really good. Right. Man, what a cool, vibey guitar part you just put on that. By the way, the guitar player, he he plays beautifully, too. What's his name again?
2: Tim Quick. Is that a great name for a guitar player? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And he's quick, too. I mean, he can really shred. And he he plays mandolin, plays acoustic. Um, Versatility, all the guys. I mean, you know... First of all, you know, Frank has raved about you. Frankie, my boy. We never stop hearing
0: about Paul. Paul, Oh, he's my boy. I love him so much.
2: But he's incredibly versatile. He's he's the (laughs) best Cajon player I've ever... When he takes a Cajon solo, solo, if you can count through it and get to (laughs) down meter bar nine... Bar Just nine. get that yeah. foot
0: going like
2: this. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we, it's its really, sometimes we're, we're in it, we go, boom, everybody's on it. And sometimes we go, we look at each other and go, no, help, no idea.
1: <laughs>
0: help, help. And or is then one. He gets
1: bugged. You can see hey, it go, how could you guys not hear that? <laughs> hey, how could you
0: not I, hear it?
2: Oh <laughs> It was <John> square. Er. <laughs> it was
1: perfectly square. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Surprisingly, he's from Long Island.
0: So. Oh, I know, and he's got a place there now again.
2: I yes, heard. yeah, uh, North Fork. Yeah. I'm going there. Yeah. Are you?
0: No, I'll, eventually. Oh, good. I, w- I want to, too. <laughs> On yeah. my way. Yeah. Let's take a quick time out from the interview with Kevin and Michael Bacon because I want to tell you about a couple of things. First of all, did you know that we video every one of these great interviews? You can see them by becoming our partner. All you got to do is go to www patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast, where you can find different levels of sponsorship for the music on the run podcast. We'd love to have you come along for the ride. And as you'll see, there are lots of different incentives, including a lot of behind the scenes footage and of course, a lot of merchandise. Second thing I want to tell you about is Electra voice. Electra voice has been sponsoring this podcast from the very beginning. They're a Minneapolis-based company that specializes in microphones and PA systems. So a big thank you to our friends at Electro Voice. All right, let's get back to the interview with Kevin and Michael Bacon. The Bacon Brothers on Music on the Run. So let me bring it back to, again, to fitness. So explain to, like, a, a typical day when you're on the road. Uh, look, I'm not the picture of health, but I I... I'm a marathon runner. I can say that. I'm not a very fast marathon mm-hmm. runner. But I run because it's good for my bod. It's good for my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those things because we want to stay healthy. Uh, tell me what you do when you're know, like, do you get off the bus and go to the gym? What, what, yeah. What's your daily routine like? I'll have my, ruti- my routine is... So this is, is, Kev- this is Kevin, have, by the way. Yeah,
1: this is Kevin. Yeah, we have di- uh, slightly different routines. I get off stage and I climb into my bunk Usually by like, I don't have that. Uh, I need three hours to calm down off this show. I'm in my really, bunk. yeah, I, I I'm in my bunk by probably eleven thirty. Dang, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, um, I do not have that. And then I get up at about uh, six
3: thirty.
1: Mm-hmm. I not it. not very rock and roll, but no, I, <laughs> I'm up at six thirty, and usually I can feel the bus stop. And that'll get me up, and I have um, some coffee in the front lounge. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the room is ready, uh, because we've driven all night, yep. I'm right in the room and then pretty much right to the gym. Okay. And so I, I uh, work out almost every day. Maybe I'll take a day off once in a while, um, but I do a whole bunch of different kinds of things.
0: Well, just give me an example.
1: Um, I, 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 I'll lift weights maybe th- three days a week. Okay. Um, today I Are did- we
0: talking like when we're 20 and we're just dying or getting our, you know, the weights up, or are we, mm-hmm. are you really exerting, I mean, is it a, like, that's a really dumb way to ask. I work but, out really hard,
1: um, but not long. I work okay. out really hard for so are half you an hour. So you're doing heavier
0: weights and things like that. Okay, Yeah. that's what I was heavy, trying to ask. Heavy
1: weights for half an hour. Um, you know, sometimes it's difficult because, you know, if you're in a crappy hotel, they don't really have much of a gym. Right, so it's, of course. It's, it's like, well, what, what am I going to do? I'll do some pushups or something like that, you know? And then, um, like today I didn't, wasn't a weight day. So I did something that I call, uh, treadmill Tabata, which is,
3: treadmill uh, <laughs>
1: tabata. <laughs> tabata protocol is a, uh, started by a, um, uh, a speed, ska- a Japanese speed skating coach. Where um, you work super, super hard for um, uh, a, a certain amount of time and then you rest for half the amount of time and you work. So it's, let's say it's 20 seconds, you rest for 10 seconds, 20 seconds on, 20. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's kind of like interval, a kind a of interval training. training. Okay. Yeah, interval training. So uh, the way I do it is I take the treadmill and I put it up as high as it'll go and then I put the speed up to Inclined, about incline, you mean? Incline, yeah. 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 Put the speed up to about five, and I run up a hill for 40 seconds, and then jump off to the side and stop for, and I do that 10 times. It's over in 10 minutes. So that was my workout today. I was done in 10 minutes.
0: I don't like inclines at all. Well, yeah, you're a
1: runner, so so you you're you're used to long distances, Please right? Please give me flat. Yeah, but you but you, you'll run for two hours or something.
3: I, that like I that. can do. Yes. Yeah, my, I, my I, body I, agrees. With I me can't
1: right do there. that. I can't do that. Yeah, I can't do that. Um, I can maybe. At this day, this at this age, I call it, I can do an angry four, <laughs> and that's about it. Oh,
0: you love it that much, dear? Uh, yeah, yeah. But so who's chasing you, Frank? Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> sometimes, you know. Sometimes, but sometimes, you know, if it, if it's if we if we end up in a place where there's a river or something like that, or there's a nice place to mm-hmm. to run, I'll I'll, I'll I'll go out and do you know. But just just four miles—that's the most I can. Okay.
0: Order. Well, next time you come into Minneapolis, I'll take you both around the lakes. The lakes in the summer here are set up for that kind of thing. Oh, really? They're about oh, great. three miles, and there's a chain of lakes that leads you right from the suburbs right to downtown. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Wow. Unbelievable. So but I'm, I'll it,
1: tell you, pe- the marathoning, I, I, I'm very
0: impressed with that. I just um, Well, um, don't be. It's, not, it's an ugly process. You want <laughs> I, I, did, I did the Chicago Marathon last year, and I, I made it 13 great. I was like... Whoa, this feels good. And then I had to run walk the last 13, uh-huh. and that's just humiliating and horrible. They had this biofreeze at all the water stops. You know, biofreeze oh, Yeah. kind yeah. of mm-hmm. like they put yeah. on the baseball players years ago. Right. Well, my legs were given out. So I'm slapping this stuff down <laughs> on my, uh, my hip flexors. And He's like, You can't touch it. I need to put it on you. And I'm like, Go ahead, you want to? Uh, so I don't think you want to do that. So I basically had to run-walk that whole last part of it. So, uh-huh. you know, it's a constant process of, of, of and I quite frankly, I think it's, it's just to overcome some mental fatigue and all that kind of stuff. But for me, and I'll never win the race. Now, that's not what I'm out there doing. I'm, I'm out there to clear my head, listen to music. That's, I found that as the hippest place. To learn about new music, go back and listen to your old favorite stuff. That's what I absolutely love about it. So, but as far as being impressed, let's see if I can get one more, and then you can be impressed. That's oh uh, man, Michael. Tell me a little bit about what you do at this point when you're on the road.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm nowhere near as disciplined as Kevin, and I really do struggle when I'm the on the road. Because do you? if is, I it isn't easy, if man. I'm at home, then I have my Everything's sort of organized, and one of the weird things about being on the road is a lot of times the only thing that's really interesting to do is go out breakfast or lunch. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's just more difficult to control, and of course, for some reason in the rider, um, in case your listeners don't know what a rider is, it's the most important part of a touring band, which <laughs> gives you all the stuff that they have to put in your dressing room, right. all the, you know, booze and chips and dips. And stuff Pizza, and things. And so you're you're working up to the performance. And my wife will will tell you that on a day that I perform, I'm not nervous, but I'm just kinda not having that much fun because I'm trying to think of I sort of have to point myself to that time okay. to get on stage. And sure. it's sort of a day process. And if you're in that process, you're a little bit uptight maybe and you know, you go walk into the dressing room just Start eating. Not even hungry. You start eating, Uh and so I try to get to the gym, and I do half an hour elliptical, and then I have a sort of a regimen of different kinds of things uh, that I work out with. Um, I wish I could tell you I did that six days a week like my brother does, but maybe three, something like that. And then,
0: man, anything helps. Then
2: I when I get home, and I gotta really
1: clamp it down. So I actually find it, you know, comparatively, you know, to um, uh, filmmaking. It's a lot easier to stay in shape with music because you have the whole damn day with nothing going on. It's like. That's very true. I I love musicians, (laughs) but when they talk about how hard it is to work for an hour and a half (laughs) a day. Yeah, I agree. It's just unbelievable. I mean, if you do a movie, you have a minimum of a 12-hour day. That's a short day. Okay. is a 12-hour day.
0: But aren't you sitting for a lot of it? No. Oh, you're not? Okay, do tell. We don't know. I don't know.
1: that's That's a little bit of a myth. Now, you can sometimes, if you're acting in something in a film, they'll do a couple of scenes without you and you're sitting, but but I can tell you that in in television, I get to work, I go straight into makeup, I go straight on the set, straight straight through to lunch, lunch comes and I desperately try to get my nap in, Ah. (laughs) straight through to the end of the day, and it's usually, 12 is honestly usually the short end, and that doesn't involve travel back and forth to the house. So to find time to actually... Work out, yeah, and and also to um, plan your food
3: consumption oh, sure.
1: because on on films it's kind of like the writer. There's piles and piles right. of mm. food, sure. like not the n- right n- food. Not, so. not not not. Well, it, it depends on if you what you choose, right, you know. Of course, but but uh, you know because there's vegetables and fruits and all that kind of stuff. But but you know, um, there's a thing called craft service, and it's there all day long. And in the old days, it was like, you know, coffee. Now it's like coffee and cheese and dip and <laughs> chips. And then yep. there's, then they bring out sandwiches, you know, twice a day and right. it's, it's very, very elaborate. Mm. And the other weird thing about it, and this also kind of applies to, uh, uh, to rock and roll as well, is that I think it's better from a health standpoint, well it's known factor, you can feel it, mm-hmm. to eat, at the same time every day. In other words, you right. have a routine, whether whatever it is that you want to do for breakfast or whatever you want to do for lunch, it should happen around the same time because your body gets into a right. digestive clock and, you know, right. for obvious reasons that we don't need to go into. Oh, um, <laughs> well, sure and- we do. We're all five years old, aren't we? Come
3: on,
0: do so. Huh.
1: But, but on a movie, you your lunch hour, because of the union rules, your lunch, you, your... Your lunch hour is six six hours from when you start. Uh huh. So if you start at six o'clock, you eat it at, at. We break for lunch at noon. Right. But you also have to. The crew also has to have twelve hours off. So if you shoot until eight o'clock that night, the next day you start at eight, um, and lunch isn't until two. Uh-uh. And this oh, this slides right. all week long. Oh. So by the time you get to Friday, lunch is at six o'clock at night. <laughs> this is this is this is the way it this is the way it happens, and it has for years in this traditional uh-huh. kind of way. So, one of the things that I try to do to stay healthy when I'm doing a uh, a film, and I, I think about this too on the with music, is mm-hmm. uh, break away if I can and eat, be control of my own lunch, like like sure. bring my own lunch or get my or make myself a sandwich yeah. or do something that that so that I can eat at the same time and not use the lunch hour for eating. I use that
0: for napping. <laughs> hey man, that just sounds logical to me. No, I'm glad you brought that up because outside of the Bacon Brothers, you guys are doing many different things. You're Michael, you're a professor. Yeah, I'm an
2: associate me. professor in the City University of New York system, which they tell me is the largest city university in the world.
3: Wow, man. And I that's teach great. at a
2: college up in the Bronx called Lehman College. And in the '90s, um, I'm a film composer, and um, right. in the '90s, I started to feel insecure about my education because I re- never went to conservatory. I, I did a lot of studying, and and I could, re- you know, I knew how to write for orchestra, but I also felt some sort of deep recesses in my overall knowledge, which I felt I needed to fill in right. to properly be able to relate to my clients. Yeah. So if um, if I didn't know the exact period, Baroque and oh. classical, and and all the, the attributes of each one of these things, if I'm talking to my client, I don't know that, then I, you know, that's going to hurt my ability to get work. Right. So I went back to Lehman College in the '90s to study with a guy named John Corleano, who was, um, he's probably top ten living composer. He also, won a
0: Pulitzer Prize, right?
2: Several tons of Grammys, Academy Award for. Probably one of the greatest scores ever written for a movie, which is A Red Violin, which was oh. um, not only a beautiful score, it also was the, you're following this violin through history from oh, the Baroque I have to period.
0: See that. I'm, not, I'm not hip to that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, so John had to write a Baroque piece and then he had to write a romantic piece. I and mean, he's, he's just the most versatile person in the world. So I went up to Lehman and became a full time student at the same time, keeping my full time scoring jobs and I was super busy and uh, got through it and got my degree finally and came out of it um, feeling much more confident about my abilities in terms of orchestration and music history and styles and stuff like that. Like for instance, I did a um, a, a one semester of of, um, a course on jazz, sort of a survey of jazz and I didn't know that much about jazz. Hmm. And I still don't know that much about it, but I know a lot more than I did before, and I feel I can converse with people and appreciate it a lot better. So um, th- about 10 years ago, they got a grant, Lehman College, to put in a state-of-the-art recording studio well, and video studio. Man. So they brought me in to teach film scoring as a distinguished lecturer, called, which is a seven-year appointment. Nice. And at the end of the seven years, even though I only have a bachelor of science degree in music from Lehman College, mm-hmm. um, they were able to get me a position as a uh, associate professor, tenure track. So,
3: and
2: yeah. the beautiful thing about it is, That's I'm cool. only there two days a week, and it's a full time job. Well, I was so. going
0: to ask you, how do you guys break away from your individual careers to be able to do this? That's going to be a juggling act. It is. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Okay, when are you not shooting? A, uh, you know, shooting, and when are you not teaching? And okay, we got this. Let's lock it in now, and not take anything else. Is that basically? How that yeah. works? Yeah, that's pretty much it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, looking backwards, we've gotten all this stuff in, but when we look, for, I try not to look too far forward because, like, we're going out again in September and mm-hmm. there's some dates that conflict with my teaching, and then i got to figure out how I'm going to deal with that. And so um, I just kind of trust that somehow, uh, with an enormous amount of support from my family, um, my wife Betsy and I, Work together, and also our son Neil uh, is very instrumental in my career, and also the Bacon Brothers' career. So he wow. works for me. So between that kind of support, um, I'm always able to get through all these kinds of things. And well, like,
0: let's talk a little bit about family real quick. So you said you both been married for quite some time, right?
2: I'm 47 years. So God, that's yeah, crazy. I know it's pretty crazy. How about you? Thirty. Yeah.
0: I'm 29. I'm right behind you. Huh. So you saw my kid earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Taylor was in town from L.A. She's out there trying to do the thing, man. She's trying to be a rock star. Mm-hmm. But families. Uh, I remember when I was on the road with lo- logins. by the way. We have that in common, of course. Well, I we got some other stuff in we, common. Yes, we sure do. Oh, we do? Good, yes, on. i got to okay, tell you about um, this. So, But back in the day when our kids were small, being on the road, I feel was so much more difficult. Uh, trying to keep in touch and trying to talk over the phone on payphones or whatever the case may be, compared to now when you can just kind of go see each other. It's all Star Trek now, and you know. I, do you find that to be the same way for you guys? How did that all? How did your family support you through the early years? I mean, you yes. must have had that support.
1: It was funny. I was looking at uh, our. We were talking about our guitar player, Tim Quick. Um, he has a regular. Uh, it's a regular uh, FaceTime with his little girl. He's got. A, he's got a brand little little girl. Okay. Um, Thea, so yeah, she's probably what two? Yeah, I think she's. Yeah, she's yeah. two. Yeah. yeah. And it's so cute to see him. He's like, <laughs> I look at him. And he's, I'm saying, w- w- what the hell is he doing? What's he doing? What's Tim doing? He's walking around Facetime. And Then Sir, 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 he's like, oh. And now he he takes her around and introduces her like she's she's sort of like Facetime friends with our tour manager. He's like, there's your buddy, Matt. Like, oh, there's <laughs> yeah, your buddy. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, really it's really cute. cute. So like you say, it is it is easier. Yeah, it is easier. I mean, I mean to for a, a new father like that.
0: You know? Right. But what about our wife? I mean, my wife is in, in unbelievably supportive. She's like, "Is it time for you to go on the road yet? Go!" You know, that's how, that's <laughs> mm. how we laugh. No, I mean, we it's it's incredible to be able to say that the three of us have, have uh, you know twenty nine years in in longer relationships. That's not an everyday thing. No. How the hell did you do that?
1: I uh, don't know. We're partners, you know. That's, yeah. We've always been partners.
0: Yeah, that's great. How about you, Mike? I mean, what's well, the, what's talk the about
2: support when uh, after? One of the lowest times of my life was uh, my son was born in '82, and I had I was playing in colleges and high schools mm. and preschools and you know, driving around with a PA system, and it was just it really was not a good life. My wife luckily um, had her teaching degree and she supported our family for mm. several years, and then um, our father uh, an apartment in New York opened up below above Kevin's apartment which in the 80s was very rare because in New York in the 80s, you had to pay what you call key money to okay. get an apartment. You didn't just go and rent an apartment because there were no apartments And these were available. tiny little shitholes, yeah. by the oh, way. Really? <laughs> these <laughs> were not <before>. nice
0: apartments.
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so um, I, I asked my father, I said, can you lend me the money for one year's rent? So at least I'll have a year in New York to try to turn my career from a performer mm. into a full-time film composer I thought I'd be singing and writing jingles. That's really what I thought I'd be All doing because right. I was at the, the height of the jingle business, where you know people were making a lot of money yeah. doing that. Um, and then when we got to New York, Betsy got a job as a as the director of a of a preschool in the Upper West Side, and that got us through a couple of years until I finally started getting some work. And um, you know, it was a slow bill. You know, my theory in New York is when people ask me about it, it's about six years yeah I tried because new york is is like a citadel. they don't want anybody to get in yeah. but once you get in you, can't do that. you it starts to give mm-hmm. it starts to give back
1: right right And when right. it starts
2: to give back, it gives back. I think you would agree with that it gives back a lot so uh you know it's a great experience, but you know without the support of my family right it. no way no way going to happen
0: man, that's so important that's yeah. so cool well, let's talk before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about music all right <laughs> sure. Uh uh since that's what we do uh so I'm on my run in the last couple of days when I found out you guys were going to be available for this. I'm like, geez, I better go to school and, and check this all out. And you guys, it, it, I hear so many different things going on. I hear so many different influences from, I, I hear the Everly Brothers. I hear folk. I hear rock. I hear classic soul. You guys seem to make it all work into one little you know, melting pot. What, what, what are your influences musically?
2: Well, for me, um, I, I think if, if we can draw a distinction between Kevin's and mine, um, I grew up in the folk era. I okay. mean, Jim Quest and Jugman, Pete Seeger. Uh, sure. Uh, Kingston Trio. Uh, you know, these were the uh, Mississippi John Hurt, Lead Belly. These were the people that I idolized. And our parents also were big time into Broadway shows and I love Broadway shows. Oh, great. Not speaking for my brother, but mm-hmm. he does not share my enthusiasm for Broadway <laughs> okay. shows. Like Richard Rogers, to me, is the music, greatest songwriter okay. ever, ever, ever. And so I went and also as a cellist and later an oboist. So I had always had this concurrent career. You play everything, this. don't you? Yeah, I play a lot of Jeez. nothing very well, but I play a lot of things. Oh I doubt Sweet. that so I had the the folk and my mother wouldn't let me get an electric guitar. And Why that's what that? I really, she just, her aesthetic was just not that. She didn't approve of that. And she was very clear about that. Wow. So um, where am I going with this? Um, Influences. Yeah. Okay. So then, so Kevin's nine years younger. Yeah. And by the time he was coming up, I mean, my parents, they had six kids. They were older. It was Kevin was there and basically myself and, and our four sisters basically raised him sure. in a funny way. Um, I get that. So the British invasion hits, and that totally changed my life. All in fact, Kevin just wrote an amazing song called "British Invasion," which I'm hoping we can cut soon. It's just so good. Anyway, so the British invasion comes, and that's just when Kevin's really moving into popular culture. So. Um, Kevin sort of started that much later and jumped into the flow of history of music, really, with the British Invasion, mm-hmm. which I was totally crazy about. In fact, our father was in England and brought back a 45 of Rolling Stones singing Not Fade Away. And that's the first time I ever heard of...
0: I was going to ask you, Beatles or Rolling Stones, or both?
2: Uh, For me, it was both. Both, yeah. yeah. Okay. Both, yeah. Well, the Rolling Stones were... The Beatles were so technically... Above most guys playing in bands. Oh, yeah. Maybe not you, but for me. Well, and the Rolling Stones were, you know, they sang out of tune. They didn't really play the instruments that well. It was all attitude. Yeah, it was all attitude. So and, I, and blues. Right. So in my cover bands at that era, I, we did more Rolling Stones and Beatles.
0: Oh, yeah. Interesting. So you, you, making these records that you make, um, I was saying that you put a bunch of different influence in these.
3: Maybe records. too many. <laughs> well, no, that's, that, that's the question that I have
0: for you, because I've been accused of the same thing. I mm-hmm. grew up playing bebop. My family is a bebop family, mm-hmm. right? So, but I, And then I transferred to pop and Prince and mm-hmm. then uh, classic rock. And so I've got this all going on. And when I go to write my own music, I'm like, I want some of this. I want some of this. Mm-hmm. I want some of that. And I've been accused of being all over the friggin' map. Yeah. yeah.
2: As we have. We are, now, yeah, it's we
0: take, are. <laughs> Well, it's taken me
1: charged.
2: <laughs>
0: 50 years to go, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, is that how you feel about it? Do you feel any yeah. pressure to, to be one way or another?
1: No. Mm-mm. No. Because for us, well, first off, there's two writers in the band. And yep. we write together a little bit, but not really that much okay. anymore. So, so it's a little separate. A little bit separate. Yeah. So if Michael's singing, he wrote the song. If I'm singing, Got I wrote it. the song. And, and so there's that. Okay. um, and as as he pointed out, there's not only uh there's the the history of music of pop music changed a lot in that nine years that our age is separated yeah. oh, absolutely because of the absolutely. you know, it went from, you know, sort of well, folk, but also just you know, in pop music, sort of like, you know, uh, Sinatra sliding into Elvis, and I had no—that right. was not in my—that was on your radar,
0: and I missed the Beatles by four years. Yeah, there you go. Yeah,
1: yeah. but to me, it was all the—I the, went back and forth to two different radio stations between the British Invasion and soul music, and the British Invasion and soul music, and it was like right. back well, and you forth, live back in and forth, Philly, Philly, right? Philly, right. So, yeah. yeah, so W D A S was the was the soul station, and um, so. The fact that we have that and then we have people in the band that have played all different kinds of music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so what they're gonna bring to it is just it's it has to be all over the map. Mm-hmm. I don't really think we we could be able to do it any other way. I you know? I think the other
2: thing is uh, I think a lot of bands start we wanna be this kind of sound. Yeah. Whereas since there are two writers, we we sort of um Idolize the song. We make the song the thing, right. and so with the kind of guys Frank and Joe and Paul and Tim, they can go anywhere the song anywhere.
1: takes us. Anywhere. So
0: yeah, there you have an incredible band. We really do. It's, yeah. it's, really it's pretty do amazing. Incredible.
2: And um, so I think that's you know I, I feel the same way. I don't want to. I, I want to be the band that I want to go see.
0: Right, and I don't want
2: to see just one thing.
0: You well, know, your fans to... last night ate it all up from the from you were doing a country song, then you pull out the ukulele. <laughs> I mean, people went crazy for that. I mean, talk about one end of the spectrum to the other, so, and and that's a cool calling card that people expect to hear. I
1: think they do expect that. Yeah, if, if you're coming Different to stuff see from... anything, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so we're ma- you're making a record.
3: Uh huh.
0: You bring in a song. You're the little brother. <laughs> Does he still get 86? Uh, can, can he 86 something out of there? Meaning, uh, can he go, Kevin, that's it's not happening now. Do, 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 that... do you guys ever go through that? Uh, uh, Michael's theory, which is,
1: which is a good theory, is let's just try it and see. When it, When anybody has a suggestion, it's like let's try to see – if it's going to work or not work. But, so you don't put but,
0: the kibosh on it right away? I
1: think, no, we don't put the kibosh no, on it right away. Not. And I also think that in the long run, yeah. you know, the, the the writer makes the decision. Okay, You know what I mean? I, I think that's basically the rule, right? I All mean, right. you know, uh, in the long run, the writer says, I like the tempo better, three more BPM. Okay. You know what I mean? It's just... That's
2: so that. you
0: guys have that respect for each other that you that you encourage, and it's not one of those...
3: Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think the, <laughs> one of those if kinda... I
2: break it down specifically, I think that I tend to do more of the vocal arranging, am I right? Okay. And yeah. Kevin is
1: more of the groove.
0: So yes. you figured it out over the last yeah. lifetime.
1: Yes. Well, you know, it's it's actually it's interesting because really, in some ways, our approach to music is really reflective in that Michael really thinks melodically and harmonically mm-hmm. and all of that composing skill and yeah. all of that knowledge of, you know, I can't read really a lick of music. I, I don't even know what the word staff Dude, means. Dude, but you're
0: all over that guitar. I,
1: I, I have no idea what the word staff means. And I think of it, I my approach is always groove. Like I hear groove first. Right. Like I hear, I feel like this is going to be, uh, you know, this is going to be a, you know, just a country picking thing. This is going to be funk kind of thing this is going to be a classic rock kind of vibe
0: okay well that also comes in the approach for a a producer speaking to his musicians in the studio too i mean that's super helpful to be able to do that as well and i suppose you come in and you go here's what we're going to interweave over the top of that or whatever well one of the things we've
2: been doing a lot is um when kevin first started he didn't play anything so i had to kind of do all the musical part of it um <clears throat> but Wait a minute, you weren't. Pl- when did you start playing? Really, pretty professionally when the band started. No Some, way. some yeah. people
1: in the band are still questioning whether or, <laughs> that, whether or not that's called playing or not.
0: You own a guitar. <laughs> I own a guitar. <laughs> He's A guitar yes. owner, ladies and gentlemen. Yes,
1: uh, it's sitting over in the corner. <laughs>
0: oh man, that's brutal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but Kevin's really. I mean, his producing chops. Uh, I mean, the demos Kevin's doing now are just great. They're great. That? You know, use GarageBand. I use GarageBand. Master right. of yeah. GarageBand. Hey man, whatever. I was gets on you Logic there. for a while, and then I was like, nah, yeah. I'm going back to GarageBand." <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Man? So he'll send me a demo, and then I'll, you know, do some arranging on it, and send right. it back to him. We'll get it back and forth, and so by the time we bring it to the band, we're pretty clear okay. on what we where we want to go with it, and of course, the band then takes it to the next level, and I think that's one of the most exciting things is when you bring a song and watch it unfold with the guys yeah. and bringing their credible vast history and knowledge of music to your song. It's really, it's, it's really great. Unless great. they bring too much of their vast yeah, history. <laughs> <in. they do.
3: laughs> a little less vast, please. One more, a little
0: less vast. So are, I, I'm sure that you have changed your recording techniques over there, meaning sometimes you get to sit in a room Sometimes you don't. Right. Uh, for those out there who aren't familiar with the recording process, what we can do now is that we can take a digital file or an idea for a song, literally over the internet, send the files to the band members. They'll sit there, Frankie will overdub, uh, Paulie will play bass or whatever. Have you done records like that? Mm-hmm.
1: We've done them both ways. Okay. Um, what we do you done? Prefer? We've done them both ways, and we've done them um, half and half we've done some tracks we did one record where w- it was a we a- actually had an absolute concept and that was we're going in the studio we're all going to be looking at each other yeah. we're going to find a place with enough ISO booth so mm-hmm. that everybody can play and we're going to play everything to click and then we can edit takes yeah and and it's all it's basically going to be a live record right i mean we had a couple of little fixes there but pretty much the whole record we did that way
0: which one was that
1: uh i don't remember (laughs) well we did one in dave bennett's studio that
2: way Uh and the we there's a little studio in hoboken called hobo sound that we really like which is a room not quite as big as this, but same kind of vibe. Yeah. And he has also, you know, he has all the gear. He's got, you know, roads and Whirlies mm. and, and and B3s and stuff like that. Um, but that's my preference. I think that's. It's more expensive, though, you know. Yes, yeah, it's it's definitely more expensive, but I just, I'm very comfortable in a recording studio. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. And, and it's, and good, I, it's good yeah. to be in a
1: studio.
2: Yeah, I well, mean, for,
0: for me, it's about the hang. Yeah. You know, you get to just, you get to look at each other in yeah. the eye and go, yeah. yeah, or absolutely. whatever the case, and, and I think the music you can feel that in the final product. Plus, yeah. you
2: also are integrating the creativity of the engineer, which if you're doing it the other way, right, it's your own engineer, you're the yeah, engineer.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yep. Yeah.
0: So let me let me bring up a one song in particular that that kind of caught my ear. Uh, I was on the treadmill, the dreaded treadmill, <laughs> doing intervals, sweating my you know what off. Um, and I heard this incredible orchestration. Come on. It sounded so cinematic and beautiful and so many expensive chords. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really deep. And I compare it to Claire Fisher, who is one of my favorite arrangers in the world. I don't know if you know Claire Fisher's work. But it was, I think it's a song you wrote, and you wrote the intro for, called She is the Heart. Mm-hmm damn man that's what a beautiful setup for that song too
1: well that was an interesting uh concept that we had for the record which was to kind of integrate on that on that whole record you know we were thinking back to um the first um uh james taylor record on apple where peter asher put all these like intervals in between the songs of little like musical intervals And that were kind of unrelated to the song. And Michael, being a composer, we decided to do that Mm. uh, a a few times on on this record. We probably did it four times or something like that. And one of the songs was um, She Is The Heart. So he wrote that piece um, to uh, basically slide into um that song
0: slide it did man yeah. it totally set that sentiment for that song up beautifully and it was actually, and
1: actually the, the thing about that sure. song is that yeah it was a beautiful it's a beautiful <coughs> piece and the, the thing about that song is that it's the only song that i ever written where i didn't i i thought of it as a piano song hmm. but i can't play the piano i can't do anything on a keyboard but everything everything that i think about is is sort of like guitar-based. And so even though I wrote it on the guitar, yeah. I was like, I can't wait to hear a, a, a piano player play this because I do not hear it as a, as a guitar song. And uh, so the first time that uh, somebody played it, I don't know who played it. Irwin, Irwin Fish. Irwin Fish, yeah. The first time he played it, my, Michael wrote a chart out. Okay. I was like, oh, man,
3: that's it. That's <laughs> it. Oh,
1: oh, yeah, that's it.
0: That's a, such a cool song. Man, I really Thanks. dig it. And you have a new single out. Yeah, play. That's a little funky blend of Minneapolis meets New Orleans. <laughs> yes. yeah, I hear all that. <laughs>
1: yeah, we should have gotten you on there. Oh man, well, yeah. one of
0: these days we'll do that for sure. No, yeah. that's that thing sounds great, man, and it's fun to hear it live. Wee <laughs> wee, <laughs> cool. So, uh, for those listening who might be up and coming musicians or actors,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, composers, professors, maybe, you guys have got. Countless awards you've been which is well-deserved. Emmys, Golden Globes, Peabody, Segs. That's friggin' unbelievable. Tell me in what you think in your estimation. What does it take to get to that level? What separates you from somebody else? What separates you from somebody else? I, and I, I'm asking this question because I, I want to give our listeners something to strive for. What, what worked for you? Uh, Michael, let's start with you. Yeah, I, I,
2: I think I'll go back to the family support. I mean, I, when I sit down, um, except for songwriting, when I need to write instrumental music, I have a tap that I can turn off and on. I could write until I drop. It's really? always there. And it was, I always like to, the metaphor I would like to think of is when I, by the time I was five, I had, because of my, our parents, the musical. Experiences they gave me was a 50 gallon drum. And as when I went into music, what happens, it's almost like when we were talking about singing the more you do it, the bigger that experience goes. So, as a composer, the best writing is when you are just kind of closing your eyes and you make a mistake, and then you go back and say, Well, that could be kind of cool. Yeah. Maybe I can make that work, and then you do make it work, and then that goes in, in the tank. Yeah, That's no longer a mistake. So right, you're constantly, right. your talent, your ability to write is, is evolving. Um, the other thing I would say, and sometimes I'll talk to parents, and I think they get a little annoyed with me, is when they say, um, my son loves music, um, and, but I really want him or her to get, have a backup. So they want to, I want them to go to dental school. Or mm-hmm. whatever. And I say to them, if they have a backup, they will take the backup. Right. Absolutely. Because so this is not easy. 100, 100%, 100%. And I think that, for me, it was a combination of this amazing musical upbringing. You know, I got married when I was 23 right. to, you know, my wife is, you know, 47 years, putting awesome, up with man. me. It's, um, and I never could do anything else. There's nothing else I know how to do. I can't, I can't build a. Door, I can't. I can't frame. when I when I, tr- when I ever try to do a wallboard, you can always tell exactly where the, the seam was because you know <laughs> you
0: and, pick up the phone right. You, so yeah, anyway,
2: yeah. that's those are the two things I think you need a lot of support. Obviously, you need some talent, but talent also can be learned. You know, it's it's uh, by working and deciding. And the the last thing I'll say, and I tell my students all this all the time, what is it about you that is different than everybody else? Right.
0: What's your voice? Right. And, yeah. for
2: instance, I had a student who was Juilliard-trained uh, uh, contrabass player. So he obviously played the hell out of you know, mm-hmm. classical or legit contrabass. And he became a keyboard player and did weddings and was doing film. Sc- I was teaching him film scoring technique and stuff. And I said, well, why don't you get out the bass and have that be? Just don't play on a keyboard. Make, make the whole thing happen. Uh, you know, I, and he, couldn't, he didn't understand that. And that would that would be the one thing. Who the hell plays the bass that well? Yeah. And for me, it's you know the fact that I play the cello, I play the oboe, I play all the all the folk instruments, percussion, you're, everything. You're a freak, because
0: that's what so, my brothers and sisters would call.
3: It.
2: <laughs> so yeah. you know, like that's so cool. Though, every man. score I do, if it's not you know if it's a small kind of score, you know, put sort of ensemble, it'll have cello on it. You may not hear it, the cello sounding like a cello, but it's, and it's it's going to have that. Hmm. So I guess those are the three things is what are, you know, Where find your uniqueness, uh, don't have a backup, um, and and rely on your family.
0: Taylor, are you listening in there? <laughs> I hope you are. <laughs> what about you, Kim?
1: Work, just worked really hard at it. Yeah. Still work as hard as I can.
0: Yeah. You know. Do you feel your days like, are you like
1: yep. crazy? Like... Yep.
0: Okay. Yep. We I have that my, in common. My
1: head is always going to like what? um what I can do uh I I work I work all day
0: yeah
1: yeah even when I'm not working people always think you know that if you're an actor and you're in between gigs that you're on vacation yeah. for me it's kind of like the opposite yeah. you know what I mean I, where is
0: my next
3: gig
1: y- yeah what am I would working to yeah. and especially in you know or get better, or write songs, or or you know work on your voice. You know, it's like you can, you can carve your day up and find you know things things to do of a creative nature mm-hmm. that are 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 working towards um, your goal. And I've been that way since I was a little kid. So
0: yeah, you're wired that way. Huh? I am wired that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. We we do share that income. So speaking of work. What are you working on right now what's what's the thing that you're doing in your
1: um well we're f- finishing out this um run we're of course, we're gonna yeah. go into the studio i'm, I'm doing some uh, additional footage on a movie that i shot in um london it's a second we are <laughs> we're, we're coming into town from pittsburgh and that day i go to work uh, okay we, we overnight from pittsburgh and that oh, morning boy. that morning i'm gonna go to work on that um, then um, the show that I have, Showtime, uh, City on a Hill, yeah. is uh, g- going to is renewed for a second season. Congratulations. So congratulations! Thank you, thank you. So we're going to start. Um, uh, I'm going to meet with the uh, writers when I get back to New York and, and start to see where the second season is going to go.
3: Cool.
1: Um, yeah, I like well, that that's a lot. Looking for <laughs> looking for work. Looking for more
2: work. <laughs> looking gonna,
0: for work. What about you, Michael? What's next up for you, Well, man? I'm excited
2: right now that I have a short uh, called Master Maggie um, with Brian Dennehy and uh, Elaine Bracco that's making the festival circuits and is now showing in L.A. to try to qualify for an Academy Award. It's a wonderful film. Right. And I really I awesome. love the score. I'm uh, very happy with the score. And then um, I have this series that I've been doing for probably close to 10 years, maybe more, called Finding Your Roots with Henry Louis Gates. And it's just kind of a public television staple where they take uh, Henry Louis Gates is a Harvard professor of black studies. And they take famous people and they basically trace their genealogy and their family history and present it. So, And Kevin was one of the subjects too, which was kind of fun. Oh, so cool. it's really, it's really a wonderful show. And I've been doing it for so many years. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, as a, television film composer what you really want to have is something that's going on every year and oh, yeah. luckily that is so I'm Good very for you. excited about that yeah.
0: guys um, the last question for you what's your legacy what, what's the most important thing for you in your lives what, what, what are you leaving to your children to the world musically acting wise what, what's the most important thing to you
1: legacy wise yeah um, just my children themselves
0: yeah that's I hear a,
1: you. you know
0: all right. What about yeah. you?
2: I feel the same way. Are are I think the a guys lot are family
0: of family guys. I love that. Yeah, I
2: mean, a lot of people are really. When I hear people talking about their legacy, I don't. I just
1: I don't have to see anything wrong with that. I just don't relate to it. I think also, you know, our father was so into his legacy.
0: Oh, really? Oh, okay. That
1: we. I think we kind of reacted to like <laughs> both of us were like, oh, I really oh, don't God, want that. that it, it was it was um, it was like it was it was borderline embarrassing <laughs> because he was just <laughs> so wrapped up in what really? his legacy. Oh my God! Yeah what it would be, that I think that, I think that both of us were a little bit well, like, mm, legacy, I don't know.
0: Well, that comes naturally, though, too. I mean, it is weird to be asked a question like that, but um, you're living it right now. You're, you're setting an example for um, actors and composers and professors and musicians by doing what you do. And you do it so well. Thank you. Thank you, brothers, thank you. Well, for coming on. for having us, on. This has really been it's fun. It's such a joy to yeah. hang out and meet yeah. you. And we, finally, We've got to come back here and cut in this <laughs> hey, beautiful I studio, man.
2: Look, I, mean, I love The next place, thing man. I want to
0: do on this podcast at some point is make a musical element out of it. So next yeah. time you come through, yeah, that would we be, got it ready. There you go. You know. Yeah, that would be nice. Be Kevin, idea. thank yeah. you so much. Get the rest of the knucklehead band in here. Pleasure to meet you. Hey, unbelievable, right? We'll catch you next time on Music on the Run. Thanks. Ooh. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson, recorded and produced by Davide Razzo, lighting and videography by David Kurtovich, and video editing by Ivan Sebastianov. Special thanks to Steve Weiss at Creation Audio for hosting us. We'll be back in two weeks with Leo and Ben Sidrin. Now remember, I have zero degrees of separation
3: from Kevin Bacon. We'll see you next time.